the Eighth Circuit Network. We make things. Put them in your brain. Hello, funky listeners, and welcome back to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. Today, we thought it would be fun to talk about some bleeping censorship. Yeah, actually, although we don't usually swear on the show, I think for this episode... We should swear. We should just go ahead and do it. So, this is a disclaimer that we will be saying some bad words today. So if that offends you, just beware. And don't it's, don't say ex- that we didn't tell you. We're exercising our right of free speech because censorship is bad. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> there you go. America. So, yeah, as Kyle was saying, we're going to talk about songs today that were either partially censored because of one specific part of the song or just banned altogether because of their overall theme and lyrics. So uh, I think it's going to be a good episode. But um, if you really are really offended by bad words, you probably should not listen to this one. If you're offended by bad words, you just probably shouldn't listen to us. <laughs> I guess. Well, although I agree, usually we're good about either not swearing or if we do editing it out. Yeah, so I guess we'll get started with our very first song for today. Yeah, what's up on the shit list, Mr. Peter? <laughs> I'm just going to throw in random words just for no reason that don't add anything to anything because I can't. It's a message, when you, when you do that, because at the, at the face, it's like, these words are not necessary. But then when you take a step back and you look at it, you realize that they are necessary. Pretty much when you when you give me that free reign, I just turn into Tourette's guy. <laughs> Bob Saget! Yes. I don't know if we're allowed to do this episode without talking about George Carlin's Seven Dirty Words You Can't Say on TV. Uh, I apologize in advance. Um, shit piss. The F word. C-word. <laughs> that, that's the, okay. As much as I'm I'm fine with censorship, the C word is the one word that even I don't like. What kind? Yeah. Oh, I, I see don't know. It. I don't know. <laughs> Didn't you call somebody that one time when you were like really mad? No comment. At a at a uh, road raging. No comment. <laughs> I think I did too. <laughs> yes, and then cocksucker, and then tits. Tits doesn't even sound like a bad word though. It's a type of animal. And it sounds kind of cute. You little tit. I would name my dog that. Come here, tit. <laughs> Sir Tittington. <laughs> so. I fear since... for the day that you have children. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we going to name it? Tits. <laughs> I think now that we've gotten some of the bad words out of our system, we can have a somewhat um, well Simple. thought out episode full of cool songs. <laughs> and the first song we want to talk about today is called Fight the Power by the Isley Brothers. Uh, we've actually talked about this song a very long time ago in one of our, one of our first episodes. I think about, like, protest songs. I yeah. think that was, like, our third episode or something. It was a really long time ago. Was that... I, know, I thought we talked about it again when we talked about the remake by Public Enemy. We might... Well, we talked about both of those in that episode. Oh, okay. So... But, yeah, this did um, inspire the Public Enemy song of the same name. Anyway, um, so... Fight the Power was recorded by the Isley Brothers in 1975 and was the first single off their album, The Heat Is On. The song was written mostly by Ernie Isley, one of the brothers. He was inspired to write the song after seeing the news and seeing all of the turmoil that was going on. He wrote both Fight the Power and Harvest for the World. The Isley Brothers ended up recording both these songs in the same day, but they decided to release Fight the Power on this album first. Harvest for the World came out, I believe, on their next album. So when they were performing the song, Ernie Isley was surprised when his older brother Ron said bullshit during the recording. 
the lyric that Ernie had written said nonsense. When he asked Ron why he said it, he replied, because it needed to be said, and that's what the people want to hear. Kind of an interesting take on that, because I think they really believe, they were all very anti-establishment and everything, and they really believe, I think, to really get that message across in the way that it had to be said, as Ron was saying, you can't really censor yourself that way. You kind of have to say it as it, as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah. they ended up keeping it that way, because I think they did the whole song in one take. So Yeah. I think... In that instance, especially, I think, you know, with so many other people trying to censor artists, if artists feel the need to censor themselves, then it's just like, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. So I give them kudos for that. Yeah. So the song was actually a pretty successful one at that, both on the radio and in dance clubs. Now, obviously, on the radio, some songs, you have, have you ever noticed this, how some of them, they'll just like blank out the words. So they'll just be like an awkward silence or they say a bad word. Um, yeah. that's, what the, that's what they did with this song whereas other songs I think they have a slightly altered lyric to say otherwise but they didn't change it for the, for that actually it's funny I, I saw a YouTube clip of them performing this song on Soul Train I watched it because I was curious um, what they were going to do with it and they ended up doing the same thing where they just took the word out completely oh. it sounded kind of weird anyway so the lyric from which the bad word comes from is it's the refrain it says I can't play my music. They say my music's too loud. I keep talking about it. I got the big run around. When I ruled with the punches, I got knocked on the ground with all this bullshit going down. Awesome. So, yeah, I'm glad that they kept it the way it was because even though even though it got um, censored, it shows that they felt very strongly about this idea and they weren't going to just step down by removing a bad word just because people wouldn't appreciate it as much. Yeah. But it didn't stop the song from becoming popular by any means, so... Going off of what you said about their performance on Soul Train, that brought to mind this other story I heard a while back. It, it's I'm kind of jumping more into the rock genre because what's funny, in researching songs that were banned, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but a lot more rock songs were banned than R&B and Soul, which obviously made... Well, by nature, I guess it makes more sense. That's what I said. Like, rock has always been kind of more anti-establishment. Yeah. On the Ed Sullivan show in the 60s, it was, like, you know, the biggest, like, TV music show at the time. Right. When... The Rolling Stones performed, they have a lyric to one of their songs that said, let's spend the night together. Mm-hmm. And Ed Sullivan made them change it to, let's spend some time together, because he thought it was too <laughs> suggestive. Uh, so when Mick Jagger sang that line, he like rolled his eyes at the camera, because he's just like, this is stupid. That's funny. But then in a, in a in another show, I guess, an episode, he had the doors come on, and I forget which song... Jim Morrison has the line, but it's like, I want to get you higher. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to change it because of a drug reference. And Jim Morrison basically, like, he told him he would change it. And the guy, he's like, okay. So he goes on stage and performs it and sings the regular lyric and stares directly into the camera when he does it. <laughs> and they never went on the Ed Sullivan show ever again. They were banned. That's funny. But it just shows how awesome <laughs> the doors were at the yeah. time. They were kind of just like... <laughs> They were like, screw you to everybody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that kind of so, takes it back to what I was saying before, too, about how you'll either change the. Sometimes they change the lyric to something less offensive. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I guess that's, the person didn't want to do that. That's what I was referring to. Yeah, that's, that's funny. good for them, I guess. Yeah, Jim Morrison guy was kind of crazy. <laughs> so, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of Fight the Power, which includes the famous. Refrain, which contains this controversial line. I try to play my music, this game of music's too loud. I try to play my music, this game of music's too loud. I try to play my music, this game of music's too loud. I try to play my music, this game of music's too loud. I try to play my music, this game of music's too loud. I try to play my music, this game of music's too loud
speaking of crazy, uh, the next artist we have up is who had a band song is Marvin Gaye, with his song uh, "Sanctified Lady." The original title of the track and the reason it was controversial and banned in some clubs and radio stations is because it was originally called "Sanctified Pussy," because everyone knows Marvin Gaye loved a pussy. He put it on a pedestal. It's a phrase that Gaye can actually be heard mumbling during certain parts of the chorus. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, of the song, uh, which obviously enough people caught that DJs were like, "Whoa!" Wait, and even after they changed the name of Sanctified Lady, he was they still changed it to Sanctified background. Lady, but you could still hear him kind of mumbling and saying "Sanctified Pussy" in the background. <laughs> cool. Guess he's Marvin Gaye. Yeah. And the song was actually one of several outtakes from his final album, Midnight the Midnight Love and remained unfinished due to his death in 1984, at the age of 44, which we discussed in a previous episode. Hmm. Guitarist and longtime collaborator of Gaze, uh, Gordon Banks, and actually it was his brother-in-law as well, uh, helped to finish the track by adding a co- uh, choir in the back, as well as an electronic beat throughout the song, plus a vocoder chant of the title at the beginning. Um, I know we discussed vocodering. Uh, when we were discussing the new Daft Punk album, it's kind of that sort of electronic-y overdubbing of a person's voice, uh, similar to, oh, what's that? Auto-tuning. Thank you. So, it's a really cool song, like, us despite its controversy. Mm-hmm. It's, it definitely, like, kind of pushed, I mean, unfortunately it was after his death, but it kind of pushed Martin Gaye into this electronic sort of spectrum, which kind of made you wonder, like, if he was still alive, like... That would be an awesome direction for him to have gone, especially by the uh, mid-80s and stuff when Donna Summer was collaborating with Giorgio Morado and stuff, and that whole like electronic mm. dance beat was becoming really popular. Yeah. That would have been so dope, but sadly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, basically the controversy comes mainly from the original title as well as his mumbling of the word pussy. <laughs> So, yeah, we'll play the uh, chorus for you, and we can you can judge for yourself if you can hear him mumbling at the pussy, which also sounds very sexual by itself. Peter, have you ever mumbled at a pussy? Let's go ahead and listen to a clip of Sanctified Pussy by Marvin Gaye. Was this released after his death? Uh-huh. There was a, a litany of, I shouldn't say a litany, but like half a dozen songs or so that was actually released on an album prior to his death that were unfinished. And that album is called Dream of a Lifetime. Hmm. So yeah, it's basically like a bunch of tracks that were unfinished that he planned to do on previous albums that were close to being finished and that other people just kind of helped out. Uh-huh. Sanctified Lady, Savage in the Sack, It's Madness. Some of them, some of these Savage actually, in the Sack. Yes, which is a Sounds really awful. awesome song. Actually, a lot of them kind of have that same sort of electronic-y boop bop sound to them. Oh, I'm gonna cool. have to check that out. What was yeah. it called? Uh, Dream of a Lifetime. Huh. Released in 1986. Cool. That might be an album for me to take for me to uh, keep an eye out for. Yeah. Speaking of albums, I totally just got Shaft, the soundtrack. And surprisingly, because I mean, I kind of felt bad because I'm like, I'm spending all this money basically for the theme song. Um, but the rest of the songs on the album are actually pretty good. So it's hmm. not just like a, oh, I bought it for this one song. The whole right. album is pretty good to listen to. Well, I told you to get the the single when we were at that store in LA that time. Oh, yeah. 
I don't know why I didn't. I was just in a funky mood, and I like That's wasn't finding. Thing. I wasn't finding. Hang. I wasn't finding stuff I was specifically looking for, so I was getting frustrated and just like whatever. Uh, well, now you have it. I still. I am never, ever, ever, ever going to find a Parliament album. They are like the freaking unicorns. I went to another. <laughs> I went to another store today. Uh, left of the dial. Left of the dial. Record store in Santa Ana, yeah. in the downtown area, which is like the only hipster bastion of Santa Ana. They have a decent selection of R&B, not huge, yeah. but uh, no part. They did have a Funkadelic album. Cool. That was one of their lesser-known albums. It was twenty bucks, so I was like, yeah, screw that. It's so, weird that you can't find Parliament pretty much anywhere. That's it's crazy. Like I don't know if like every person that ever bought the album like still has it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, if I really wanted it, I could go and like buy it for like twenty or eight dollars on Amazon. Yeah. But the point of like searching for an album is finding it yourself and finding it at a good price. Yeah. So I'm not gonna do that. Maybe we can go to Amoeba Music one day. Dude. Oh, dude, dream, dream weekend right here. Amoeba Music, and then hiking in the Angeles National Forest because they're both in LA. And then making love. And then making love on the beach. Well, that sounds fun. <laughs> so, was there anything else you wanted to say about Sanctified Pussy? The song, uh, not the concept. <laughs> um, no. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't Marvin Gaye's first song that was controversial, but it was probably one of his first songs, or only songs that was controversial for lyrical content and not just general sexual nature. Sexual, yeah. Sexuality. Because you can't say pussy on the radio. But, uh, yeah, what's going on was controversial different reasons obviously but right nothing that really got it got any of it banned it was just like screw you government screw you society. screw you war screw you war there was a ton of war songs out at the time and they were gonna like quash all of them yeah so what's coming up next mr peter As... thank you kyle <laughs> <laughs> coming up next is a song by the spinners the song is called one of a kind love affair this was released on the Philadelphia-based Atlantic Records in 1973. Now, I had thought that they had released this song a while, because, I mean, they, they started in, like, in the 60s, so I'm kind of surprised that this... This is one of the more famous songs that I know by them, and I'm kind of surprised that it's as late as 73. Yeah. But it's a good song, nevertheless. Um, this was their third consecutive number one on the US R&B singles chart, and it spent four weeks at number one, and that's pretty impressive. This song is an example of one that was censored based on a mistake rather than actually being um how to, how should i say is without deserving it i should say without actually being controversial yeah exactly there's a short stanza some like i think late in late in the song it says one of a kind love affair makes you want to love her you just got to hug her but a lot of people thought that the song said you just gotta fuck her <laughs> so um atlantic records was like okay we don't want to deal with this so they cut another version of the single it was about 15 seconds shorter, and they just cut out those lines completely, so that they just didn't, they just didn't want to deal with it at all, basically. So interestingly, there's two versions of this song: the censored one being th- three minutes and 17 seconds, and the uncensored one is three minutes and 31 seconds. I don't think either one is particularly rare. I think they're both pretty easy to find because I've heard both versions. Yeah. And actually, I most of the time I hear the un, the quote-unquote uncensored one. So if anything, I think it's harder to find the censored one, even though that was the main version of the song for a long time. <laughs> the Spinners, were, I don't think they were really... Um, they weren't really, really controversial at all, as far as I know. And so it's funny that a lot of people would assume that they would just, hey, let's just throw the F for them in the middle of one of our songs. Yeah, because fuck it. 
Yeah, exactly. Let's go ahead and listen to this clip from One of a Kind Love Affair, and you can give a listen to it and see what you think it sounds like. I mean, I can see how people might think that, because like, I mean, it's sort of, it's, it's a sort of unclear. If they're like half deaf, maybe. If you're half deaf, but I mean, I don't know why people would like seriously assume that they had the the F word in their song. It's kind of funny. Speaking of songs banned by mistake or just people being stupid, <laughs> the next song in our litany is "Louie Louie" by the Kingsmen, which is definitely going pretty far back. Mm-hmm. First released in 1963. The single was initially issued by uh, the small Jordan label before being picked up by the larger Wand Records and released by them in October of that year. The song entered the top ten on the Billboard Hot 100 charts on December 7th and peaked at number two the following week. In total, the Kingsman's version actually spent 16 weeks at the top 100, obviously. The song was covered by many, many artists after them. Part of a factor to its success, people believe, is that there was rumor that the lyrics were intentionally slurred by the Kingsman. Allegedly, this was to cover the fact that it was laced with profanity, graphically depicting sex between the sailor and his lady. <laughs> Crumpled pieces of paper professing to be, quote-unquote, the real lyrics, circulated among teens. <laughs> the cool. song was banned by many radio stations and in many places in the U.S., including Indiana, where it was personally prohibited by the governor, Matthew Welsh. <laughs> These actions were taken despite the small matter that practically no one could distinguish the actual lyrics. <laughs> the FBI actually started a 31-month investigation oh into God. the matter and concluded that they were, quote, unable to interpret any of the wording in the record. <laughs> wow. Ironically, however, drummer Lynn Easton later admitted that he yelled, fuck, upon accidentally dropping a drumstick at 54 seconds on the record. <laughs> that's funny that's amazing <laughs> i like that while they're recording a song instead of dropping a drumstick and just in your head being like oh man i dropped my drumstick and just pick it up he just decides to shout fuck in the middle of the recording <laughs> she drops an ass <laughs> bob Saget. this might be the greatest banning story ever because yeah if any of you would like remember that song i don't know why i think that song was played at like every kid's summer camp <laughs> <laughs> since its inception but yeah because if any of you listen to that song it basically is very very slurred as if it was sung by a drunk person so yeah we'll play a little clip here of Lori Lori by the Kingsman and see if you can guess what they're saying because aside from the chorus where they say Louie Louie pretty much after that I have no idea what they're saying and it's pretty hilarious should we play the part of the song around um, 54 seconds yeah right? I, yeah I, yeah we can we can you guys can tell us here It's like the FBI 31 months to conclude that they weren't able to interpret this. It takes the FBI 31 months to, like, sharpen a pencil. Come on. (laughs) Uh, Now, they, because you said a lot of other people recorded this song. Yeah. Right. So I assume that the lyrics are a lot more clear in other people's versions. Now, are the lyrics actually 
depicting sex? Um, there is actual lyrics. Um, nothing that seems to be profane in any way. I listened to this song uh, not too long ago, and I tried to hear for when the guy yells fuck at that one point, but like you could barely hear anything. Well, like I hear him go just go like, Ugh, I don't, I don't like, I could never. If you play distinguish it really, that if you play it really, really loud, like I pretty much just made my ears bleed. Okay. You can kind of make it out. Huh. Well, you listeners can determine from that clip that we played. You kind of, uh, it's kind of more of an ugh. Well, probably because he's far in the back of the room. <laughs> not right in the microphone. Yeah. <laughs> that would be an uh, interesting topic to delve. I don't even know if there's any soul band that, uh, if there's any bands that have drummers as singers. Huh. I know Def Leppard did. Yeah. Fun fact about Def Leppard, their drummer only had one arm because they had a really bad tour bus accident and it caused him to lose his arm, so he lost. He learned to drum with one arm and sing. Oh, yeah, I remember learning that once. Yeah. Pretty cool. Pretty crazy. Weird transition, but speaking of people who are handicapped, the next song we're going to talk about is Stroken by Clarence Carter. Now, if you had listened to our last episode that we did, uh, we did it all about blind um soul and jazz singers it was actually pretty interesting if that interests you at all uh we encourage you to check out that last episode that we just did and we already talked about clarence carter a lot so we're not going to go through his whole career again but just in the basic sense uh he's a soul singer and he's been active in the industry since 1962 and is best known for his song patches this time however we're going to talk about one of his other very famous songs called stroken due to it being very overtly sexual in nature (laughs) if you know this song at all you know that it's basically very clearly about sex and he's not uh, ashamed to show it <laughs> it's pretty funny on account of this the song received pretty much no air radio play nobody wanted to play the song and also um it had a music video as well but really it didn't get any video play at all no one even i mean like i've seen the music video it's not really that um... well there's the creepy claymation clock that kind of gets yeah this is that and women shaking their booties and stuff and there's nothing like there's no nudity or anything, so I don't know. But basically, no one even wanted to touch the song at all, uh, which is too bad. But luckily, Clarence Carter was pretty smart. So what he did, instead of playing it on the radio, he teamed up with his record label, Ichiban, or whatever, however the heck you say it. Ichiban. 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 And uh, they came up with this pretty cool idea that instead of... They pressed records, but instead of uh, selling them or playing them and uh, sending them to radio stations, they stuck them in jukeboxes and bars and... And that way, the song actually gained a whole lot of underground popularity in the bar scene and eventually got a lot of heavy play in strip clubs as well, which is pretty funny. Dude, being in a strip club in, like, what, the late 80s, uh, early 80s and have that song playing, that would be amazing. I wonder if they still play it in strip clubs today. I hope not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and also, people really enjoyed it, because usually this was a song that Clarence Carter would usually close with in his live performances, and it became extremely popular that way as well. So I'll say I find it kind of inspiring that he was able to make this song one of his most famous songs, despite basically having no radio play at all, which is how songs become popular. But they had this kind of a cool idea uh, to put it in jukeboxes instead. Uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. That is pretty ingenious. I didn't know that about this song. So. Like an underground way to distribute music without being forced to play it publicly. Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, people in bars and strip clubs aren't going to be offended by a song about sex. Yeah. <laughs> I think that goes without saying. That's kind of the same regard to that Nine Inch Nails song, Closer, which is very, very much about sex. Mm. It got, like, literally no radio play, 
but it was so popular in dance clubs in like the late 90s that it's like one of the, the band's most famous songs. Mm, that's funny. Because their chorus is basically, I want to F you like an animal. Cool. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty great. Well, Strokin' is a pretty amazing song, and um, it's one of our favorites by Clarence Carter. Um, <laughs> the, the moment we found that song, like, because remember, because the chorus was like, have you ever made love on a couch? And you would always ask me, like, random scenarios in which I've theoretically made love. Yeah. And it was just hilarious because it matched up so well. Yeah. I'm very glad that we found this song. Cause it's oh, God, awesome. yeah. It was, like, our <laughs> holy grail for, like, two weeks. Yeah. Let's let our listeners hear Strokin' by Clarence Carter, and they can see whether they like this song just as much as we do. We hope you stroke it to Strokin'. And I can always tell when she gets satisfied. Because when she gets satisfied, she start calling my name. She said, Clarence Carter, Clarence Carter, Clarence Carter, Clarence Carter. Ooh, shit, Clarence Carter. The other night, I was stroking my woman. So that was Strokin' by Clarence Carter, one of our personal favorite songs. I don't know if we played on the show before, but now we have, so. Yay. It only took us 59 episodes. <laughs> yeah, right. What we got up next, Mr. Kyle? Up next, we have a song by a band that very much isn't really controversial, but they decided to make it controversial because America. Oh. Um, it's the song Will You Love Me Tomorrow by the Shirelles. She- Shirelles? Shirelles. Okay. Yeah. Um, in 1960, the Shirelles released their version of this song with Boys at the B-Side. Uh, lead singer Shirley Owens did not want to record it because she thought it would be quote-unquote too country. She relented after a string arrangement was added. So apparently, by adding violins, it doesn't be it it negates the countryness of a song. Interesting. Unless there's violins or fiddles. In 1961, the song went on to be the number one uh, song on the Billboard 100. However, Owen recalled on Jim Parsons' syndicated oldies radio program, Shake Rattle Showtime, that some radio stations had banned the record because they felt the lyrics were too sexually charged, with lines such as quote. I'd like to know that your love is love I can be sure of. Totally wow, sexual. Wow, that's really sexually charged. I, I, can, I can feel the, the sex coursing inside me right now. I can barely say that line. How would it be? <laughs> I'd like to know that your love is love I can be sure of. That is like a sexual tongue twister. <laughs> so yeah, basically it was a song that wasn't really in any... By today's standards was incredibly mundane. Yeah. But by the standards of 1962, it was just it was too hot to handle. <laughs> and the ver- this version of the song is actually currently ranked the 110th greatest song of all time, huh. uh, as well as the best song of 1960 by acclaimed music. Really? I don't know who they are, but they rank songs. Cool. Yeah, it's just funny because of all the songs on this list, it's probably one of the more tame songs. Yeah. Except maybe Louie Louie. Yeah. Um, and it's just hilarious, like, how conservatives of the day were just like, oh, there's, there's, I can't talk about love. Yeah. What is this? Love is a fairy tale. <laughs> so, yeah, let's listen to some of these sexually explicit lyrics in Who You Love Me Tomorrow by the Shirelles. You know, when was it, I feel dumb for asking this, when was the whole, 
because there was like a whole explosion of censorship oh, among yeah. pretty much everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Point. It seems like the music industry was definitely um, affected um, by that. Hold on, let me look this up. Remember that movie Pirate Radio? Yeah, I didn't see it, but I know what you're talking about. There was a period in the very early to mid '60s when it wasn't so much. It was it kind of trickled over to America, but it was actually more Britain yeah. that decided to get all Mrs. Doubtfire on music in the early to late to mid '60s. This whole explosion of rock and roll with like the Rolling Stones and the Beatles was taking off in the country, and they feared like this overrule of like you know youth gangs roaming the streets like the warriors or something <laughs> and so they went on this huge censorship campaign to basically like ban a ton of basically all rock music uh from airplay between like the late 50s and early 60s hmm. so i guess some of this stuff in the u.s is kind of rubbing off on that then. yeah it says bbc's director of music at the time sir arthur bliss wrote wartime instructions for the committee banning songs that were slushy in sentiment or pop versions of classical pieces. So they were banning songs all the way past, like, after the war. Hmm. They banned songs from the Beatles, the Cougars, Rolling Stones. Basically, well, actually, while doing research, I did read that there were a lot of Beatles songs um, that were banned because of some movement to get rid of a bunch of, um, like, any songs that had references to drugs. Mm-hmm. And we know that a lot of the Beatles songs did have that, so a lot of their stuff got banned because of the drugs. Yeah, drugs are bad. Okay, they even <laughs> banned they even banned Chuck Berry's song "My Dingaling." <laughs> oh, there's one we could have done, Chuck Berry. Oh man! Whoops! I guess um, we censored it from this episode. I don't want to know about Chuck Berry's dingaling though, so maybe that's a good thing. You know, because um, when remember our freshman year, and we had to take that freshman foundations class. Yeah. And I took... Um, banned books, right? Banned books, yeah. Because yeah. like, at first, I didn't really want to... I kind of got pushed into that because there wasn't many choices left. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was actually really, really interesting. Because we talk, we talk, we didn't only discuss books that had been banned for various reasons. Some Kind of in the same way as some of these are like, basically, they're not bad at all. But people were so paranoid and everything that stuff would just get banned because people were crazy. Um, but also, we talked a little bit about the film industry as well. And we learned a lot about how like the MPAA eventually came about. And they started the whole film rating system and everything, mm-hmm. and how they're like really, really strict about well, even like the smallest question, things. Question: Didn't the wasn't a big, big reason that the MPAA came about was the movie Night of the Living Dead? Um, I don't remember that I, specifically, but maybe. Yeah. I always heard that because Night of the Living Dead was was the was this you know the original zombie movie, right? And it showed people like you know eating people and killing people, and this was a time before there were movie ratings. Right. So anyone could go and see a movie and kids would go and see this and we're just like, holy crap, I'm traumatized. <laughs> and that was like a big galvanizing sort of catalyst for them to like, okay, we need to like maybe keep kids from seeing certain movies. Yeah. I don't um, know. That's always a story I heard. That's why I was saying if, if that was true for you as well, what you learned. I don't, I don't remember that specifically, but um, that could very well be true. I know. I do know that they have, there's a whole documentary. I don't remember the name of it, but you guys should look it up. It's about, kind of how the MPAA is kind of screwed up mm-hmm. and how they're how they allow they'll allow a lot more violence um, than sexual stuff for example and they'll give like a film with a lot of violence would only get say like a PG PG13 whereas something with even a little bit of sex would like automatically get an R rating and whereas like the Europeans like sex is a lot more except allowed there I don't remember the name of it but uh, the documentary was actually really interesting 
about um, their criteria and how they're kind of screwed up. So that's just on the topic of banning things in general and censorship. Oh, yeah. Here. Sorry, I just lurked up something really quick. Um, Night of the Living Dead premiered on October 1st, 1968. It was shown actually as a Saturday afternoon movie, which was typical for horror films at the time. So it attracted an audience consisting of preteens and adolescents. The MPAA film rating system was not in place until November of 1968, which is about a month after this movie came out. Um, <laughs> so even young children were not prohibited from purchasing tickets. Nice. Uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times chided theater owners and parents who allowed children to access the film. I don't think the younger kids really knew what hit them. Quote, he said, They were used to going to movies, sure, and they'd seen some horror movies before, but nothing. Uh, but this was something else. <laughs> so basically this, like... Movie came out, kids went and saw it, totally traumatized, and then within a month they had like, like developed the MPA rating system. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that movie or no? Maybe I don't remember. Black and white zombie film. Black guy is the hero, which was also very controversial at the time. <laughs> I want to say I haven't, uh, but I might have. I'm not sure. It's one of those like kind of just. I mean, I totally recommend it to everyone because it's like the original zombie movie and did kind of broke a lot of ground for the time but it was also very very disturbing i mean it's kind of disturbing even now for a 1968 film hmm. it's hard yeah. to wa- it's hard to watch in some parts it's funny because I, it's funny I, that i say that because that film approached the whole concept of zombieism so realistically for the time mm-hmm. that nowadays zombie films are so so overly gory that it, you laugh at them because it's like, okay, that's completely not realistic whatsoever. Yeah. But the film was much more kind of like down to earth with the gore that it seemed much more real. In fact, I think, if I remember reading correctly, some of the scenes where they, had, they showed zombies eating humans, they actually used like animal organs. Oh, God. To like replicate that and just had people pulling them into animal organs and stuff. So pretty messed up. And they used, and they used uh, sheep's blood. Oh. Uh, the film was black and white and they didn't need to. <laughs> They wanted the like viscosity and stuff or whatever of it to be as real as possible. Huh. So pretty messed up stuff. Yeah. Speaking of messed up, what do we got up next, Mr. Peter? <laughs> well, before we get into the, ne- into the next song, I just want to say really quickly that um, that documentary I was talking about yeah. is called This Film Is Not Yet Rated, and it oh. came out in 2006. I'll have to wait uh, for that. I like that. Yeah, it's pretty good. So check that out. I will. Cool. Um... The next song that we want to talk about is called In My House by the Mary Jane Girls. If you don't know, they were an R&B slash funk slash disco group in the 80s, and they were protégés of Rick James. I mean, this, this is basically like their back, his backing singers, and he wrote and produced pretty much all of their songs. So just from the get-go, because we know that Rick James was kind of crazy in the kind sex slash drug scene. So um, just the very from the get-go, since they're associated with him, that kind of puts them in a bad spot. Yeah. But uh, this song, In My House, was a single from their second and final album, Only For You, uh, which came out in 1985. This ended up being their most successful single and received heavy airplay in dance clubs, and it stayed at the top of the U.S. dance chart for two weeks and was a top ten hit in both the U.S. pop and R&B charts. And I remember reading that it stayed in the top 40, I think, for 12 weeks straight. Wow. So it was pretty popular for like three months. Yeah, I guess. That's not bad. Yeah, that's not bad. So in 1984 and 1985 or so, there was this organization that came up called the Parents Music Resource Center. Uh, it was organized to draw attention to music, which this group believed contained inappropriate content oh, for children. Oh, yeah. You know who that was led by? That was led by Tipper Gore. That was Al Gore's wife. 
that that's that's what started that whole parental advisory rating on albums. Yeah, this this their whole Senate hearing that they had with this group is what led to the whole parental guidance explicit lyrics labels that you have to put on albums now. Yeah, um, one of the major bands I guess that they attacked with this is um, Twisted Sister because they have a song where they say like do it just do it and some kid like killed himself while playing the song oh wow that so sucks basically they like they like attacked the band and the band's just like like our music is our music like it doesn't advise anyone to do anything you people are stupid <laughs> yeah um, all they say is do it let's do it and then they're somehow responsible for this kid's death yeah this is, although this is also the same band that said like school that's had the song schools out for summer and talks about blowing up schools <laughs> cool I mean uh, that <laughs> so they were they were controversial I guess on their own but yeah basically it was just this total like bullcrap witch hunt yeah <laughs> I think it is good to have some way of knowing whether there's explicit lyrics on there for the people who are offended by that and especially children but like you said it was kind of a witch hunt of sorts mm-hmm. uh, as a lot of censorship stuff is unfortunately the, this group the parents music resource center has what they call the filthy 15 which is a list of songs that they found the most objectionable and in my house by the mary jane girls is on that list nice for the re- the reason that they said that they didn't that this song was on that list the filthy 15 was that the song has is just filled with sexual innuendos I think that's kind of up for debate, as with a lot of these songs. Even the Mary Jane girls came out at some point, and they said that the song is about love, not sex. So, I mean, I think groups like the um, Parents Music Resource Center are just really looking way too deep into the lyrics sometimes. Yeah. And heck, even if the song is about sex, then who cares? If they're not saying it overtly, who cares? You know, I I mean, that's, that's how I feel. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like even Strogan, I mean, that was kind of pushing it. Strogan is pretty much kind of kind of pushing it, but even that, like, yeah. there's... I mean, like, like it, I could I could let a kid listen to Strogan, I wouldn't feel that bad. Yeah, because they don't know what it, they don't know what it's about. Yeah, like when he says it, that could be like you know eating a bowl of Fruit Loops. Have you ever eaten a bowl of Fruit Loops on the couch? Have you eaten a bowl of Fruit Loops last week? <laughs> Have you eaten a bowl of Fruit Loops last night? Maybe you plan on eating Fruit Loops tonight. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, I think this is another example of a song that's just, it's not that bad, really. But I think it kind of gets, this stuff got, it really likes to get blown out of proportion. And like I was mentioning earlier, I think there are a whole lot, and we've noticed it in, the, in our list today, is that, especially in the U.S., that the whole sex thing is very, very a touchy subject. And people who are crazy about censorship do not have any tolerance for yeah, but, violent, you know, heads exploding and violence and all that stuff, that's fine, but you can't talk about sex. That's just bad. Well, let's go ahead and listen to a clip of In My House by Mary Jane Girls, which is a nice, upbeat song, and it's fun. And I've heard it many times before, and I never thought anything of it, but I guess it was deemed very inappropriate. <laughs> So, In My House by the Mary Jane Girls, pretty cool. I gotta get one of their albums. They're pretty good by themselves. Speaking of pretty good, the next song we have... <laughs> These transitions are awful. The next song we have, we have that was actually pretty controversial was God Bless the Child by Billie Holiday, which is easily one of our most famous songs. 
It was written by Billy Holiday and Arthur Herzog, Jr. in 1939, and it was actually first recorded in May, uh, May of 1941 under the Oka label. Holiday's version of the song was honored with the Grammy Hall of Fame Award in 1976. In her autobiography, Lady Sings the Blues, Holiday indicated an argument with her mother over money led to the song. She indicated that during the argument, her mother said the line, quote, God bless the child that's got his own. The anger over the incident led her in turn uh, to turn that line into a starting point of the song, which she worked out in conjunction with her song. In Will Fredwald's 1990 book, Jazz Singing, he indicates that it is, quote, sacred and profane as it references the Bible while indicating that religion seems to have no effect in making people treat each other better. Huh. Basically, it was sacrilegious. And in 19, you know, the early 40s, that was yeah. a big no-no. Yeah. The lyrics refer to an unspecified biblical verse, quote, Them that's got shall get, them that don't shall lose, through the Bible says, and it still is news. It's likely referring to the passage of Matthew 25, 29. Yeah, we haven't talked about this yet. About religion. Stuff, stuff that's, uh, yeah, that's very censored true. because of religious... Well, because basically, like, after, like, the late 50s, like, they're like, okay, we're America, we kind of can't censor stuff just because it makes fun of religion. Right. But we, we can censor stuff well, that Well, obviously, even today, even still, there's still God. people trying to censor all sorts of stuff. Because oh, yeah, remember, totally random, but I just thought about this, remember that big controversy when Lady Gaga was popular, where in one of her stage shows, she had herself, like, crucified or something, and, like, every single... <laughs> I don't, I don't remember. That. I don't know what it, it was. She was like crucified on something stupid, like I don't know, a cow skeleton because she's vegan. God. And basically, like every you know, mom society and mama and like Christian mom blog like attacked her to death for it. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's basically in the in in that time period, it was implying with that line that you know basically the the Bible says this thing, and yet people are still shocked by it, basically mm-hmm. saying. You know, you don't have to know the Bible to do this. Yeah. Which, I mean, from a certain standpoint, I don't think everything that's innate, that, that people do that is good is is spurred on by religious reasons, or it has to be. Right. It's too good to be good. They don't even have to have a reason other than that exactly. makes them feel good. But apparently back then, to tell people that they do good things and that the Bible doesn't matter was bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that's why that particular song was very controversial. I mean, again, it was a product of the times, you know, or something like that came out today, everyone would be like, no big deal. But in the... Yeah. Aside from, like you said, like a mom, few mom groups yeah. or something. Especially in the early 40s, because there was already this, that very... I mean, we already kind of knew about the Nazi advancements in Europe, and there was a very... It was very well known, the Nazis basically, you know, persecution of people that weren't them. Right. So America became very, like, clingy to its, like, conservative values at the time mm-hmm. which then just carried over during the red you know, the what is it, the cold war and communism we became very conservative yeah because of it because we had to prove how to unlike the communists we were we're god-fearing democratic americans <laughs> so yeah let's listen to a little clip of god bless the child with that line okay. um so you guys can judge for yourselves if it's sacrilegious them that's not shall lose. So the Bible said, and it still is news. Mama may have, Papa may have, but God 
I don't think anybody nowadays would consider Billie Holiday sacrilege. She was basically like the queen of jazz at the time. Yeah. You know, it's funny, and it's not one we're mentioning here, but um, her, another song of hers, Gloomy Sunday. Mm-hmm. This is funny. It was based off of an orchestration by a Hungarian composer in the early 1900s, like 1911 or something. Mm-hmm. It was based off that composition. And there's this weird controversy because that composer like ended up committing suicide and everyone says the song is like basically about his dead wife that he wants to return to and there's this like weird hauntedness about the song and when it was recomposed by billy holiday there was like this like spur of urban legends that people would play the song and then end up dead the heck yeah that's bizarre i mean the song is pretty depressing i mean gloomy sunday it's very downbeat but it's just funny that it evolved into this like massive urban legend yeah, it's weird. I forget the name of the composer, unfortunately. Uh, be, since I guess we're talking about Billy Holiday for another song, Peter, you can talk, talk about that, and I'll look this up. Okay. Yeah, we um, we looked up songs separately and combined them later, but then we realized we both had Billy Holiday songs. Yay. Uh, so that's cool. A song that I found by Billy Holiday that was more or less censored, or banned, I should say, was Strange Fruit. She performed the song 1939, just like the other song. Uh, God bless the child. Since then, it's become a pretty famous jazz standard. It's been performed by many other artists uh, since then. And eventually, it became her best-selling song, which is kind of cool. Now, the lyrics to Strange Fruit were originally a poem written by Abel Mirapol, who was a white Jewish high school teacher from the Bronx and a member of the Communist Party. And he wrote this poem as a protest against lynching. Some of his other poetry that he had written before this, he had tried to get turned into songs. Um, But with this one he decided just to turn it into a song himself. So that's what he did. So that started getting performed by a few people locally. And um, Barney Josephson, who was the founder of Cafe Society in Greenwich Village, New York, which was uh, New York's first integrated nightclub, heard this song and he introduced it to Billie Holiday. So she made it a regular closing song for her live performances there. At the time, she was also signed to Columbia Records. So she brought it there so she could get it released to a wider audience. Unfortunately, Columbia basically just flat out refused to release the song because of its controversial nature, because it speaks out against racism and lynchings and stuff like that. And it's pretty strong in that message. So Columbia said, no, we're not going to release this. Partly because of record retailers in the South, obviously that's going to cause problems down there, Um, as well as being pretty strongly affiliated with the radio network CBS. You know, they didn't want to drag this CBS into all of this controversy. So they said no. Uh, Fortunately, Billie Holiday had a friend named Milt Gabler, whose Commodore label produced alternative jazz. So she went ahead and uh, Columbia allowed her to go away from her contract with them for one song. So she was able to do Strange Fruit for this Commodore label instead. And when she sang Strange Fruit acapella for Milt Gabler, it apparently moved him to tears. That's how powerful this song is. It did get released, not under the huge label uh, like Columbia. I think Commodore is pretty small comparatively, but... So in that sense, it actually did get released. I don't know how much it was banned after its release on the Commodore label, but at least at the beginning, they had to be really careful when she performed it at this Cafe Society, and also her main record label said no. But despite that, she was able to get it released, and it's been pretty popular since then, so that's pretty cool. Actually, Strange Fruit is probably my favorite song by Billie Holiday. I had no idea there was so much controversy surrounding it, but it's definitely a very emotional song. And definitely yeah. one of my favorites. By the way, I looked it up. 
and that guy, the, the composer, the Hungarian composer, his name is Rezo Serez, and the, the urban legend surrounding it was basically the fact that there were 19 suicides in the early 1930s in both Hungary and America surrounding the song Gloomy Sunday, but basically most people actually just attributed to the fact that both countries were going through a depression, so more mm. people than normal were killing themselves. Uh, um, but there was all these urban legends surrounding around the surrounded around the fact that it was this particular song that was doing it. That's fine. So, oh, another reason that we could have used this song. It says your BBC banned Billie Holiday's version of the song from being broadcast as it being detrimental to wartime morale, <laughs> but allowed performances of instrumental versions. Um, however, there was no evidence of any other radio bands, and BBC's ban was lifted by 2002. Wow. Because apparently we were at war for 60 years. Now, something else I want to bring up, actually, now that you said that, that a lot of songs, older songs, were banned from radio play um, after 9-11. Oh, yeah. Especially stuff like War by Edwin Starr and all those anti-establishment songs. Yeah, because they wanted it to be all like, hurrah, America, go free them terrorists. So <laughs> anything that like talked about war being bad was like instantly. It's kind of sad like how, not to get all political here, it's kind of sad how like in instances like these, like after 9-11, the government forces this sort of like galvanization of like a mob mentality where like, you know, any sort of dissenting opinion to like going to war, you know, invading Iraq or whatever was completely quashed by, you know, as being unpatriotic because you don't, you know, you sympathize with the enemy. Yeah. It's always been like that, but it's just hilarious that like a nation of 300 million people can be so easily like persuaded in a certain direction. Or at least I tried to be personally simple motivation. Well, yeah. it worked. It worked pretty well for a while. George Bush's approval rating was ninety-one percent, like a month after nine eleven. Crazy. Yeah. So that's political corner with Kyle. <laughs> cool. Before we forget, let's listen to a clip of "Strange Fruit" by Billy Holiday. sound really 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 ocd but when i eat cheerios or fruit loops or whatever you know how like occasionally you'll get like a piece that's not a full loop it's just like a piece yeah i don't eat those really? i consider i consider them freak pieces i purposely push them away with my spoon wow i'm not even kidding it's just one of those weird stupid ocd things about me you know i'm ocd about cereal not in the like the shapes like, i don't care about that but I have to I have to dunk all of it into the cereal before I can take a bite. Oh, like you push it I don't you like, push it down with the spoon. Yeah, I don't like any like dry cereal with, like in my mouth. I like I, I need to all be in the I'm picky stuff. because like there's like a certain like fragment of time when the cereal has absorbed just enough milk to not be like teeth shatteringly hard, but mm. not be like soggy squish poo. Yeah. And I like eating it at that time, but there's like a very minute moment in time where you can eat cereal and it's of that consistency before it just turns to like mush. <laughs> Especially with Rice Krispies, like oh god, the, the advertising on that box should be like, "You have two minutes, go." <laughs> Challenge accepted, because it's basically a sponge. <laughs> Whenever yeah. I would eat Rice Krispies, I would I would pour like 
Wolf, a Wilford Brimley amount of sugar on top. <laughs> <laughs> like enough to coat his entire mustache. Just a spoonful of sugar helps the cereal go down. <laughs> so, yeah. That was the best way to describe anything. <laughs> a Wilford Brimley amount of sugar. Yeah. No, I used to put um, sugar on. Same with shredded wheat. I would just douse that stuff. I don't know how I'm not diabetic. And um, regular cornflakes. Yeah. Yeah, like the non... The non-sugar kind. The non-cocaine-covered kind. Yeah. <laughs> no wonder Cody the Tiger was so twitchy. Speaking of political fascism, since I was talking about that a little bit earlier, the last song we have on our list is a very obscure band, but it needed to be mentioned because it's awesome, is the song We Don't Need This Fascist Groove Thing by Heaven17. Um, Heaven17, for those of you that don't know, which is everybody, was a British synth-pop band in the early 80s. It was a minor hit in the UK, and this particular song was their biggest hit, and there was also a minor hit. So their biggest hit was a minor hit in the UK? Their biggest hit was a minor hit in the UK and US because they're just that obscure. Cool. And this song, We Don't Need This uh, Fascist Groove Thing, was written by the Heaven 17 members Martin Wire, Ian Craig, Marsh, and Glenn Gregory, and it was included in their 1981 debut album, Penthouse and Pavement. Uh, the lyrics of the song actually reference UK and US political leaders of the time, including Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher and President Ronald Reagan, respectively, and include denunciations of both racism and fascism. Um, according to the book Banned Censorship of Popular Music in Britain from 1967 to 1992, the song was banned by BBC due to concerns by Radio 1's legal department that it libeled President Ronald Reagan. So, so they didn't care about Margaret Thatcher? Apparently not. Basically, they, they were more fearful of pissing off Reagan than pissing off their own prime minister. Uh, I guess that makes sense. Because America. <laughs> um, although people consider Margaret Thatcher basically the Reagan of Britain. She was very conservative and like all into deregulation and all that. And happened to be prime minister around the same time. So that's from Britain. America went very conservative for a while. You know, it's another song that we didn't mention that this made me just initially think of is um, that band In Living Color, Cult of Personality. They basically, like, you know, talk about a bunch of different dictators, but then lump in, like, Ronald Reagan and stuff in with them. Because uh, the, the whole concept of the song was, like, these leaders who are terrible people are adored by their by the people of their countries because they develop this cult of personality and people think that they're, like, above reproach. And yeah. so he talked about, like, Hitler and Pol Pot and then Ronald Reagan. <laughs> oh, God. So. Cool. Yeah, that we, we probably could have mentioned all of that, I think, was a more... I mean, even though it was a black band, it was more of a rock song. But anyways, mm. similar to the song. Um, basically, I just drove this, chose this song, honestly, because the title's really cool. Because We don't need this fascist groove thing. Yeah, I don't know why. It caught my eye. I was like, we gotta do that one. And I listened to it. It's a pretty good song. So well, I think we should listen to it and dance to this fascist groove thing. We don't need it. We don't need it, but we're gonna listen to it anyway. We don't need this fascist groove thing. Brothers, sisters, we don't need that fascist groove thing. Brothers, sisters, we don't need that fascist groove thing. History will repeat itself. Crisis point when you are. So that was "We Don't Need This Fascist Groove Thing" by Heaven Seventeen, a minor British sort of disco dance band from the early 80s cool i think that's about it that's all we have for this time i imagine we could eventually possibly come back to this topic again yeah at a later time because i i think there's a lot of stuff that gets uh censored 
where we could probably possibly could come back to this. So, and we didn't actually end up saying too many swear words. Dick. I think we I think we spent more time at the beginning talking about how we were gonna and then didn't. It's like say them and it's then like, we didn't end up doing it. Yeah, by talk by talking about how we're gonna do it, it kind of made it less fun to do it. Yeah. Because it has, to be, it has to be more spur of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I figured it was gonna come up more in like in the lyrics that, of songs, but funny enough, it turned out that most of these songs weren't actually that bad. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's kind of sad, though. I guess that's the nature of censorship. That's the message we can take away from this episode today. Yeah, if you guys have any songs that you know were banned or controversial or whatever, send them to us, tip us off to them. Tit us off to them. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can, um, you can tell us how you liked our show or give us ideas for new um, songs to talk about or new episodes completely on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash getyourfunk. We highly encourage you to interact with us there and to tell us what you think. If you have any ideas, feel free to bounce them off us. We'd be happy to talk to you and figure it out. Oh, and did you see, Kyle, that I did the Spotify thing? You did. Yeah. Oh, I did it late last night, so probably a lot of people didn't see it. At the end of our last episode, you said that we should um, start posting Spotify playlists of the songs that we talk about in each episode so that our listeners can listen to the entire songs rather than just short clips like we do in the show. For those of you that have Spotify, at least. For those, yeah. For those of you who have access to Spotify, uh, if you go to our Facebook page, after we post the episode, we'll also post the link to the Spotify playlist where you can listen to all of these songs in their entire glory, as we unfortunately cannot do for legal reasons on the show. Yeah. As we say in every episode, also check us out on iTunes. Give us a rating and or a review, as well as subscribing to our show. And the more ratings and reviews we get on iTunes, um, the more popular we'll be, so more people will see us, and therefore more people will love us. And ultimately, that's the goal here on Funk Radio. To be loved, and to give love in return. (laughs) So yeah, this has been ass. No, that's not right. (laughs) This has been your host, Kyle. (laughs) And this has been... This has been your host, Peter. We hope you enjoyed our show today and weren't too offended by our swearing. I'm sure there's far more for them to be offended by in this episode than just our swearing. I think for this <laughs> try not to be too for this particular episode, we should change the title, uh, the letter from N to C. Fuck radio. <laughs> cool. Alright. Didn't I... Okay, sorry, I just made me think of this instantly. Didn't I, like... Because we would always, on Facebook, when we had the show at college, I would post like a status being like, Funk Radio, 10 minutes to get my friends to listen in. And one time I was really excited and I accidentally typed, instead of Funk, I typed Fuck. Oh yeah, you typed like Funk Radio, listen now. In all caps. That was hilarious. And I was just like, damn it. Didn't your mom like it or something? Yeah. Which made it all the more awkward. God, that was hilarious. I was just like, did I just swear? My mom just liked it. I forgot about that. Oh, it just reminded me of that when I said that. That's funny. Yeah. Okay. Okay, well, thanks for listening to Funk Radio. Tune in next time for more of your favorite Funk hits. For more podcasts and the latest news in gaming, movies, and entertainment, visit 8thCircuit.com.